Good morning. If you're one of our loyal regulars who's listening to us first thing on Sunday morning, then it's great to have you back again this week. Or if it's your first time, maybe you found us through one of the top 10 lists on podcasts worth listening to that seem to be circulating just now. Either way, it's Matthew Grant here, partner at Instead London and your host for the Instead London podcast. And I'm delighted to have you today joining us from wherever in the world you are or whatever you are up to. Now, like many of you, the last few months has proved incredibly busy for us at Instech London, but a great chance to learn more about what is going on around the world. And we are seeing a strong set of themes emerging. If you want to find out more, then check us out at London. Worth signing up for the newsletter too, handwritten and with you every Wednesday at 7am UK time. Now, one area that is changing a lot is the use of technology to manage claims and fraud. And as you're about to discover, the story of the founding of Albany Group was driven by a gap in the market and the realisation by the two founders, Stuart Griffiths and Adam Richards, that there must be a better way to do things in the manual and disconnected processes used by the insurance market for managing supplies for claims and their other partners. In this episode, I'm joined by Adam and Andy Stevenson. Andy is a former client of Albany who is now helping the company further expand its business. And as usual, we cover a lot of ground relevant both to those building a new company or those interested in learning more about another company with a growing and engaged client base that you might want to partner with. Adam, Andy, really looking forward to hearing more about Albany today. Uh, I think you're a really interesting example of a company that's just been working away somewhat under the radar, but actually have been building up relationships as you offer your risk and intelligence software out there uh, since 2007. We'll hear shortly about how you funded that a really interesting story about how you got there and what you've been doing so uh, adam first of all thanks very much for for joining us on this episode thank you matthew now you and Stuart, your fellow co-founder were formerly in the marines and i don't think you had a background in software development so it'd be really interesting to see what took you from that kind of background into offering services for the insurance market yeah, absolutely. It's it's not the uh, most normal journey. As you said, we haven't got a background in technology or financial services, but our background, as you said, was in the Marines. We came out and realised we weren't quite qualified to do anything else in Civvy Street, so we went into the security sector like many others do. From there, it kind of naturally led on to do a lot of investigation work. And as you can imagine, it, you know, we did a lot of investigation around fraud. That was a pretty successful company at the time, but the reality was that we needed to grow. And so we were looking at all different options and, and we went down the route of building technology. We thought, naturally, that's going to be an easy thing, being ever the optimist, near financial ruin a couple of times. And we moved into the technology sector and, and built a team around it. Through that process, you came across Andy, who was, at that point was, I believe, uh, Director of Claims at Hiscox and is now doing some work with you. But it, again, just always... Intriguing to know how people found their, their one of their either first or their early clients. Yeah, absolutely. So we built an original technology platform uh, called Aura, which was an investigation platform. And we used to utilize that tool when we conducted investigations. And a long-standing client of ours, which was Hiscox Insurance, which Andy was working at at the time, uh, started to utilize that tool. But it was also a client of ours uh, for the fraud investigation side of things. That was kind of where our journey began. And Andy, for you, when, when you can cast your mind back to those days when uh, Adam came across you or you came across Adam, I mean, what was it about what they were doing that 
gave you the motivation to sort of work more closely with them? And I guess what commissioned the building the software at that stage if they didn't already have something? The company, you know, with Adam and Stuart at the, the, the figureheads was, was clearly one um, that was developing some smart technology. I like the approach. I think the sort of military background these guys have gives them a real sense of, of discipline and a sense of um, way of doing things that everything has its place. Everything's done for, for a reason. Everything's engineered very finely and there isn't really um, much room for, for luxury. I don't know if you've ever been on a, a warship, uh, Matthew, but you don't find many plump leather armchairs and ornaments and Christmas decorations. You know, things are there for a purpose things are done you know in a very smart orderly way and it's very disciplined and I found that really really helpful to what we were trying to do we had tight budgets I didn't want any nice to have so I wanted must-haves and I wanted someone with a real laser focus on delivering exactly what it is we, we wanted and I saw that they were capable of doing that well I haven't been in a battleship but I've, I've been into the Albany offices and there's certainly no comfy armchairs in there so I guess that no, spirit has... no slide no google <laughs> slide in there no. we just things that we need We'll get one one day. And uh, just, just to clarify on that point, there are a few comfy chairs, but only in the officer's mess. And uh, myself and Stuart were never allowed in there. So we've, we've taken that on board. So since 2007, Adam, you've progressed, you've, you've built out this technology. For those that aren't familiar with Albany, it would be helpful just to get a perspective on what it is you're actually offering to people and, and what problems you're solving for your clients. As I said, we started off sort of in, in the fraud and investigations sort of slash due diligence area. Uh, and we moved on from there and started to look at uh, companies, naturally companies that were interacting with insurance companies. Uh, around about 2014, we were approached by Hiscox, which we'd been working with now for, for several years. Uh, and they wanted to look at a product which was around managing their supply chain. Uh, first of all, it started in claims. So looking at all their claim suppliers, being able to create a technology solution to manage the sort of day-to-day administration oversight sort of regulatory obligations to to manage all these different relationships within within their claim supply chain that that relationship began very successfully we built an original product called his connect there's also another version of it which is ours is called connect and we've gone on to build on that product re-engineering the product actually last year and and continue to work on it we've got an extensive roadmap going in for the rest of 2020 and into 21. And Andy, so you're, first of all, you are a, a client for Albany. You're now working with them, helping design the product. I mean, what kind of problems did you have before you came across Albany in, in that supply chain area? I mean, is this something that there was already solutions for and this weren't good enough? Or was this something that was actually, you kind of had to build your own way of solving the problems? Yeah, look, Matthew, I think that's the big question, really. Oh, sorry, the big problem, I should say. The big problem was underinvestment in, in this space. Um, you know, I think if you typically went to, a, even now, we went to a CEO of an insurance company and said, hey, where on your list of priorities is you know, automating supply chain management and risk management in supply chains? I'm not sure it'd be in the top 10. I mean, the, the recent pandemic may have moved it up a few slots, but certainly back in, 2015 when we were really first wrestling with this problem most of the the investment dollars were still going into distribution channel policy admin systems and and so on and really there wasn't something off the shelf that that we could 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 move and 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 use easily in in this space i mean 
the FCA, you know, given a catalyst into the system in, in 2015 with their thematic reviews on delegated authority and really, you know, supply chains. But even still, there were still lots and lots of companies like, like we were working off spreadsheets and an email. And, and that, that is still true today, by the way, which is why we still have a very, very valid and interesting offering for, for people. The silver lining is of that, having not been too much investment, um, you know, sort of five, six years ago, there aren't the problems with legacy systems. So we can come along with Connect and we can very quickly jumpstart people from what they're doing today with emails and calendars and, 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 and file share systems to, to a proper system that can control everything for them without the issue of this legacy system migration, which is often very, very costly. Yeah, that whole area of claims, as you say, it is to me still curious. I guess we can sort of understand why it doesn't get attention, but I mean, a dollar or a pound saved in the claims handling goes straight to the bottom line, whereas if you're helping people figure out underwriting analytics, and there's still a lot of proof to be done with the data analytics. But the interesting, if you don't know if you saw it, but the recent Willis InsureTech quarterly report has got claims as only getting 8% of all the investment going into InsureTech. And we're going to talk in a minute, actually, a little bit about, <clears throat> Adam, the choices you made about investment. But it is still interesting. That does seem to be an area where, it's not getting as much attention. I guess we don't want to give, give away that too much given you've built a, a good business in this area, but it, clearly there are some, some real benefits to be had for getting into this and, and solving the problems earlier rather than trying to figure it out further on down the line. My only insight into that is typically there are potentially more voices around the, the exec table from a sales distribution uh, operations channel than there are there are from claims and perhaps you know that dynamic as you describe it isn't as well understood I mean I hope I'm not being rude about my insurance exec teams around the market but I'm, I'm sure factually that's, that's probably true. Adam would just like to talk a bit more about some of your other clients so you mentioned Hiscox and I know you're working with some other leading organizations I think Brit, QBE you publicly mentioned uh, anybody else you, you can talk about? Yeah, so uh, seven more syndicates actually in, in the Lloyd's market. We can't actually mention them by name. I have asked them. Uh, also, uh, Tesco's is another great uh, client of ours and several other large insurers that are in this sort of, uh, domestic market. So uh, you've kind of got past that early adopter stage, even if you can't name the names in terms of you know, getting people confident in what they're doing with you. And just on that, that funding one, you know, a lot of the attention around companies tends to be those that get funding that certainly helps people accelerate but you chose to go down this bootstrap route where you funded yourselves you haven't taken external funding presumably on the way you've had to make some choices or you have been approached with people offering you funding I mean, what, what gave you the confidence to keep going on your own income as opposed to bringing in third-party funding to start with, it wasn't really a sort of strategic decision to, to be bootstrapped. It was more a matter of fact that we already had a fairly successful business. So we were utilising the profits uh, from our investigation uh, work to, to fund the initial development of the technology. And, and also, it wasn't an area that we knew well. We didn't realise there was an opportunity to, to take funding externally. We, we were always of the mindset that it was sort of the business fundamentals. We had to create something that people were going to buy first. Uh, before going out into the market and sort of you know, asking people to put their money at risk before we'd even put our own money at risk. It didn't seem like the natural approach. And then it got to the point where we were happy that we we're in charge of our own destiny. You know, so we just continued on, on, on that vein. Yeah, it, it, 
it's, it's surprising, I think, to people that aren't following this space quite carefully, how many organizations there are like yourselves who have built business maybe a little bit more slowly, but there's a strong focus on revenue as well as managing the costs. And I think the sort of Holden Shortech concept, you know, which sort of took off five years ago, has slightly uh, blinded people to some of the opportunities out there with these organizations. I mean, we find that particularly intriguing. I mean, the sort of technology companies that are, that are building this and you've demonstrated why it works, but it's, yeah, it's not easy when you're spending your own money and you, you've got less, you've got less buffer if, if things go wrong. I think you described yourself, um, Adam, as, uh, as not a unicorn, but as a, as a camel. I think I understand that all means, but can you just give me a bit of a perspective on what you're, why you're, why you like being a camel rather than the unicorn? Yeah, well, absolutely. That, that's actually a promotion because I used to refer to us as cockroaches uh, because we could essentially survive a nuclear winter. We would be the only ones left you know, if, if the proverbial hit the fan. But so, yeah, I've, I've promoted us now to the camel, which is it's essentially it's just about, um, as you can imagine with a camel, it's about cautious approach to, to financials, building up reserves, you know, so we can survive any drought, you know, potentially going into the, the sort of the next few years. If, we, if we're looking at a recession, there could be some significant funding uh, drought, essentially. And, and we'll survive these times because we've built up reserves over the good times. So sort of preparing for, for the future with sort of measured strategic growth rather than just growth for the sake of it. So, yeah, and it's every technology solution that we create is very much customer focused. And I know that everyone would naturally say that, but we only actually move forward with you know, R&D or move forward with any kind of development or technology. And it's based off specific feedback from clients. I've heard your clients present I mean, sort of glowing terms about what they're doing with you. So that's, that's definitely true. As you, as you talk about your camel description, I'm thinking there are quite a few sort of top 100 insurtechs out there. I feel there's a need for a, uh, I don't know it's top 100, but maybe we'll start off with top 25 camels. Uh, just to give a different perspective on things. So yeah, look out, look out for the camel list coming soon. Um, and just coming back to you, Adam has mentioned in passing resilience, but in a slightly different way. But I know one of the areas that you are using or people are using your products for is to help with resilience. What's your definition of resilience with regards to how people are using the products? Resilience is ability to recover quickly, I guess, really. And I think to do that, you need, a, you need a plan and you need, you need some knowledge. It's much more difficult to, to bounce back if you're, if you're making it up as you, you, you go along. Um, and I think that's where Connect really steps in. It gives you an opportunity to see right through your supply chain. You've got a lot of knowledge. It's, it's up to date, up to the minute, really, typically. Um, and you can then start to make some smart, informed, informed choices based on the data you have and the sort of insights that you, you, can, you can bring. So it's also having that discipline of thinking about it in advance as well. And if you've got a tool that can easily help you do that, then you're more likely to be able to build that into your, your business processes. I think that, you know, I said already that there are still lots and lots of teams out there operating in this space with cobbled together systems, spreadsheets, post-it notes, and, and, and so on. And, Yes, they may have got and survived so far like that, but surviving one pandemic doesn't necessarily mean you can survive two, right? So I think you know, there is definitely a need to bring some proper planning, insight and technology into managing your, your supply chain to ensure you do have that, that resilience and that ability to bounce back. Yeah, and to that point about surviving a pandemic, I mean, 
people don't issue press releases when things go wrong or they you know they can sort of struggle through but there's a lot of collateral damage so i'm sure there are that, the recent events are putting a stress on some of the systems, but mm. it, yeah, it'd be handy. And if you could just talk through for people that aren't familiar with how claims supply chains work and what kind of data people have access to in terms of the companies they're working with or their own claims handling. I mean, can you sort of describe the way that people are using the products to be able to, to do that today and what's the data they're drawing from and how this integrates into other systems? Yeah, certainly. Maybe I just give a, a quick description of what, what the problem is and why um, the the supply chain process is a little bit broken uh, right now. What I see in developing supply chains at the moment is a lot of information exchange, um, typically through processes like requests for information or due diligence processes, and they're very administrative heavy. There's a lot of burden on both sides of a of a negotiation agreement to process information what connect does is finds a lot of that information that already exists because there's a lot of redundancy in the process where people are asking things such as send me your financial information for the last five years well that exists in the public domain connect and help you find that um, and then other sorts of documents around your, your policies and your procedures that you need to share between the two organizations connect makes it very easy for those things to be shared and actually once you've started to share that with one organization, Connect helps you then share it with others and takes out this sort of redundancy and duplication and having to do a bespoke process every time you want to enter into a new arrangement um, with another party. And, and what about connecting into existing systems? So your clients are going to have policy administration systems, presumably they've got some kind of claim system. Do you hook into that or are they having to go off and use you as a standalone system? Yeah, we're very proficient at doing that because our technology allows that to be done very, very simply through APIs. We, we're a Microsoft Azure um, cloud uh, technology stack. So that, that's very easy for, for us to do. The, the barriers tend to be the older legacy systems that the, the insurer or, or customer is, is using. I mean, we, we can work with them to, to solve that, but it's very easy for our technology to do that. And then... I don't know who's best to answer this question, but I know one of the features you have is this documentation and audit trail, which is becoming increasingly critical these days. How does that sort of fit into the overall workflow? Naturally, the whole process of both onboarding and maintaining a regulated relationship with a third party, you know, there needs to be a complete trail from start to finish. What Connect is doing is obviously documenting that relationship from the very start so from the minute they onboard that customer into the system uh, they're able to look at all the documentation that's attached to that third party you know the financials company structure documentation that needs to go back and forth so an exchange of information is is always held within the system uh, and it gives them the opportunity to have a complete audit trail of of the relationship from go live through to you know if it lasts for years and years uh, there, there's there's naturally that trail behind that both you know internal c-suite can monitor and also external regulators as well which is increasingly required by regulation and you mentioned third party risk there i i see also you refer to fourth party risk i think i can guess what that is but just to make sure i've got it right can you just explain what that means from a sort of practical point of view 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's, you know, it's one thing to monitor the third party. So any company that interacts with you directly, but it's, it's inherently more difficult to, to look at fourth and fifth and sixth party risk. And, and the way we look at that and to describe it is, you know, a good example, maybe a building firm that you would in, instruct directly, they may well have uh, another fourth party that operates on their behalf. So a subcontracted company doing a specific uh, project for them. And then underneath that then could be a fifth and a sixth where they've got their own contracted individuals within the business and it's inherently difficult to see the relationship but ultimately it comes back to the insurer is responsible for the service has been provided to the claimant so it's about trying to monitor all of these different entities uh, if you can have proper strong oversight of both your third parties and potentially your fourth parties you're then in a greater position to be able to monitor the chain all the way through it doesn't matter how many people are actually involved uh, in delivering a service yeah i mean that's a that's a problem for the area you're looking after but it's also a problem but you know, also an opportunity in the broader insurance area of business interruption and contingent business interruption and that whole supply chain failure which has been shown time and time again when there are major losses and you, and you get a concentration or correlation of loss because people didn't understand the supply chains i mean it's a it's an area i think that's still got lots of opportunity for people to figure out how to help identify those uh, so just one, one other one I wanted to come on to, Adam. Again, your website is, is rich in uh, in useful terms, but again, I don't want to guess what this is. I think I've got an idea. You talk about the speed gun effect. Uh, can you explain what that means? A part of Connect is, is about monitoring performance, and, and naturally we can do that in many ways, but there's a, a wider piece around performance as well, is that when a third-party company feels like they're being properly managed there's proper oversight of the services that are providing on your behalf. Uh, naturally, their performance goes up. So we coined it the speed gun effect because, you know, when you're driving down the road and you naturally get a speed gun put out, you, you slow down and stick to 70. We're seeing over a period of time the supply is improving. You know, the performance, the level of feedback that they're getting, uh, the information flow that's going back and forth between the insurer and themselves just gradually improving because they feel like there's proper oversight as to, to what they're doing yeah it's an interesting twist on the the speed angle which you know generally i'd say is a good thing in terms of development but you're, you're using it here as a way of analogous for indicating or finding out what the key risk indicators are early and before they escalate but by actually the war yeah hopefully hopefully you see the speed gun and slow down as opposed to get a, a ticket for going too fast Second aspect to that as well, to, to add to what Adam said, which is it also acts as an, an alerting. If you have a speed gun set up and suddenly, you know, three o'clock in the morning, everybody's rushing through there and setting it off, then it's telling you something's happening. And that's a little bit about what Connect does as well, that continuous monitoring. If then suddenly there is an alert because lots and lots of conditions are being tripped, then it's telling you something and you can react, you know, very, very quickly to that. Is there also a potential, or maybe you're doing it already uh, with your, obviously with your clients' permission, to actually look across different insurance companies that are using your systems and start to see those kind of signals in certain areas or by, by certain suppliers as you sort of aggregate those and then can warn other people if maybe they don't see the signals so early? Yes, absolutely. The idea being is that we've created uh, what we call the Connect Community. So it's an opportunity for all of our customers to interact uh, normally on a quarterly basis, but also we'll feed information back up through the chain uh, where we're seeing potential hotspots or problems or potentially a specific issue with one or two suppliers. It may even be based around jurisdiction. Uh, we can feed that up the line. So we're trying to sort of 
take our Intel background and utilize it and be able to feed information back up the chain to reduce risk, uh, improve resilience, as we've spoken about before, uh, and, and just provide a wider service to, to everyone involved. And as we bring on each new customer, obviously that, that, that sort of network expands and the opportunity to, to identify potential issues as early as possible becomes greater. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic business model, that network effect, because as you say, the more you have, uh, the more the community builds out, the more value there is, the more more sort of higher resolution analytics you can do. So no, it's great, great to hear that one working well. And then just to be talking a bit about coding, but you also, when we spoke before, mentioned the no-code environment. So is that the approach you're taking for building the software, just going for, going for no-code? Yes, absolutely. So our original product was, it was very code heavy every time we wanted to make a change it had to be done the back end and it was inherently slow and inherently expensive and it just it wasn't practical we sort of rebuilt the technology from the ground up uh, at the start of 2019 and released it earlier in 2020 uh, into a complete no code environment i don't think any technology solution now that's been released should, should be heavy code base at the back it should be a no code environment and when we talk about that it's just essentially giving the, the end user the ability to completely configure you know, everything within the platform, everything that you can change, even down to the most basic things like titles or, or uh, you know, the names of different parts of the system, everything can be changed by the front end user by essentially someone who has a God login. They can go in and actually change everything. Uh, workflows, MI, all these different things that you expect from a technology solution is all being created and done by, by the super users at the front. <laughs> that was God, God login, was it? That's a, a technical term for an administrator. Yeah, we, we came up with them. Uh, it seems to be quite popular, so so we've kept it. Uh, someone loves being caught getting a god login, so uh, yeah, we've kept that uh, non-technical term. Uh, and do you build the code in-house, or are you, do you subcontract to somebody else? No, absolutely. We uh, we all build it in-house. We originally tried to work with another technology company, but uh, as I think I mentioned, we, we nearly went pop several times when, when we worked with other firms, so we thought the only way to do it is actually do it in-house. So we very slowly created our own team uh, and now we're, we're fortunate enough to have uh, a 15 strong development team based down in Bristol. And, and just, I mean, for people who are listening who are maybe at an earlier stage and looking for their technology partners, I mean, that that's a choice, isn't it? Is if bringing somebody in either as a co-founder or a sort of very early employee to be the, the sort of CTO or something equivalent or go and partner people. And notwithstanding that you, you had a failure, which, you know, that name the details could well have just been because you had a bad supplier as opposed to the concept was bad. If, if you were to look at doing this again or advice for other people, maybe it might be a better, better way to put it where we are today. What, what's your recommendation? Is it to go, go and find somebody as a, somebody in a team or is it better off to start working with, with an organization where you can move more quickly initially and, and get off the ground? Yeah, I think it's changed a lot. When we, when we were initially sort of looking for technology companies, this was, uh, probably about seven years ago now, it, uh, things have moved on. There's lots of fantastic, you know, outsourced technology firms. I think the opportunity to be able to partner with one, uh, it gives you obviously, you know, a chance to regulate your cash flow when you're employing people. Naturally, it comes with a lot of expenditure and, and an inherent risk as well. And and you're playing with people's lives to a certain degree, of which I'm always very conscious of when you employ someone. You know, you have to sort of commit to them. But with the third-party companies out there, there's there's many good ones. Obviously, onshore as well, and and also offshore. Or I think the new term is nearshore as well. Some fantastic companies over in Eastern Europe that 
giving companies the opportunity to create technology very quickly and, and fairly cheaply as well. So I think if I was to do it all again, I would really seriously look at that option. Uh, that said, I very much like having real sort of, it's a military term, but the command and control of it, are, you know, I, I'm in charge of the people that are around me. So, you know, if we need something done and we need it quickly, we're working as one unit all the time. Whereas with a third party, sometimes they might have, you know, other things that are priority to them. And it normally comes down to with any third party, whoever's paying them the most probably comes higher on the food chain. So it, there's risks on both sides, but I think there is really good opportunities now to, to work with other companies. No, thanks. That's really helpful. So uh, just as we kind of get to a close, what, what should people look out for, for next you've got coming up? Yeah, so we, we've got some real sort of big plans uh, for the rest of the year. Uh, massive technology roadmap, some really exciting things, some things that I can mention, something I can't. We're working heavily on on more workflow, more MI data. Obviously, the Connect communities, you know, helping influence that roadmap as well. Uh, earlier in the year, we set up uh, another office in Gibraltar, uh, and we're also planning to set up uh, an office in Sydney as well later in the year. So that, that's really exciting. Uh, another big one, we've got a first major US insurer that's going onto the platform in August, which is fantastic. We've only really ever worked in the UK and, and continental Europe. Uh, and also a bit of a personal one to myself and Stuart as well. We're setting up the side of the business where we're taking some of the profit of the business and putting it towards uh, homeless veterans. Uh, and that's going to become an official sort of charity to the side of the business, uh, and that should be up and running later in the year. So that, that's really exciting. Oh, congratulations! Got a lot, a lot going on. And and Andy, what about you? Is there anything else to add to that, or anything you personally are getting involved with? Yeah, we have another another product that we are in the process of delivering, actually. And really, it's early stages, so probably best not to share too much. But essentially, we're looking to make it easier for. Uh, new entrants into the insurance market. So if I'm, a, for example, a construction firm and I want to understand how can I do work for insurance companies, we're going to make that very easy for them by providing a way of bringing them into, um, onboarding them into the insurance market and making it easy for insurers to find them. So really, again, reducing frictional costs of operating in the insurance market and improving opportunities for um, improved competition. A dating a dating app for claims it's not far off yeah not far off actually not, we haven't quite called it that we, we ecosystem is more, more what we were calling it but but why not dating app there we go oh, fantastic no, really great one one other thing as well to add uh, matthews we've spoken very heavily about claims but actually our technology solution is, is being used outside of claims that was where it was born and that's where it's heavily being used but it's also being used to manage brokers manage it vendors legal uh, providers so it really is being used across the supply chain of the whole of the insurance industry so that's a good link adam to my sort of almost final question which is for people that want to know more about you and, and specifically that kind of information about you know what you're doing or other areas you're getting involved with What's, what's the best way to learn more? Uh, come to the website. Uh, please get in touch with us directly. Uh, we're always around. We're based on Threadneedle Street in the city, so everyone is welcome to come see us, hopefully when, when the whole world comes back and the city comes back. Uh, yeah, please get in touch. There's, there's lots of information. We've got on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, all the usual places. 
Good. And we'll put those in the episode notes, but it's Albany Group for people that are trying to find you. And then, so finally, you know, we're delighted to have you supporting us at Inset London. And it's always great to hear why people do that. So you sort of you know, wrap up with a few final words on that. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been coming to your events for, for quite a while now and, and obviously seen the growth, which has been huge and, and you know, the people that are getting involved uh, and, and the amount of people that you get into a room each time you do an event, I, I think is fantastic and the work that's going into it. So it, it, for us, it was a no-brainer to be involved. Great. Well, thank you for support and yeah, hopefully we'll be getting all those people back into the room again soon once we uh, reduce the, um, the social distancing to about 10 centimeters and we can all squeeze in again and have, have fun but no thank you very much for your support adam andy it's been great talking to you and as i said we'll put the information on the episode notes and you know, look forward to catching up again in the year sounds like things are moving very fast so yeah a lot to look out for thank you matthew really appreciate it Well, we're delighted to have Albany as one of our corporate members. And if you'd like to learn more about what Instinct London can do for you, then do take a look at the website, www.instinct.london, or contact me, Matthew Grant, via LinkedIn, or email us at hello at instinct.london. That's it for this week, and look forward to hearing from you, or you will be hearing from us uh, next Sunday morning. Bye for now.